The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. John the Baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water... He saw the heavens torn apart and the, and the spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Amen. Many of you know that the centerpiece of my recent sabbatical was a time spent in England exploring sacred sites, and especially uh, some of our most cherished cathedrals. And one of the most interesting places we visited was Salisbury Cathedral. And you'll recall that uh, that is uh, the place where the Sarum Rite originated, Uh, the Sarum Rite being so important in the development of our prayer book. We happened to have been there on the Sunday that they were celebrating the 20th anniversary of the girls' choir. And it was very interesting. They have a a woman as dean. She was a wonderful preacher. And that morning she celebrated in her sermon the fact that for 20 years they had had a girls' choir and they were the first to have one. There were about a hundred of the uh, of the young ladies who were there who had gone on to other things, plus the current girls' choir. So the music was just glorious. As an aside, I'll mention that, you know, change can be hard. Uh, it has been 20 years since they uh, started that girls choir. And she says to this day, she gets hate mail from the Society for the Preservation of Men and Boys Choirs in cathedrals. <laughs> change is hard. <laughs> but what impressed us the most, in spite of that glorious worship that we were able to participate in, was something that really surprised us. At the west end of the cathedral was a glorious new font, something that had been uh, dreamed of for years, apparently. And this font is truly amazing. It is uh, made of bronze with a wonderful uh, green patina. It's quite large, but fitting for the size of the cathedral. It's about three meters across. And when it's filled with water, it it weighs approximately two tons. It's shaped in a way that 
the surface of the water on the font uh, looks like a piece of glass. So it reflects that, that wonderful space. And then off of each corner, the water is flowing. One of the docents said that the, uh, the, the surface of the font is so flat and it's so uh, still that women have been known to place their purses on it, thinking it was glass. As you can imagine, it's not a simple thing to make any changes to a cathedral such as Salisbury. So they spent 10 years working with the artists. And they considered a number of temporary installations of models of what this might look like. But they were usable models. They used them at Easter to uh, baptize new Christians. They went through all of that. And then finally, in 2008, on the 750th anniversary of that grand cathedral, the Archbishop of Canterbury came and he marked with oil, sealed that uh, font and consecration on all four sides. And if you go there today, you'll see that I, I doubt that they planned this, but the oil has made a permanent mark on that font on all four sides. Fonts are important to us. Ours may not be that grand and the one in the chapel is even smaller, but there are people who have gathered around that font here and in the chapel for generations. How many people have come to that font hoping and seeking for the blessing of God, for the impart, imparting of God's spirit and for the grace that comes in baptism? And today we're particularly de delighted to have the opportunity to baptize Alexander and Katerina. It's a very special thing in our parish when we can have baptisms. But today we also celebrate the baptism of our Lord. We've just gone through this wonderful season of Christmas and what a glorious Christmas it was for us. But if you look at the New Testament uh, scriptures, you might wonder why do we make such a big deal about Christmas and not more of a big deal about the baptism of Jesus? Because you'll find there that there are only two Gospels that tell the story of Jesus' birth. But all four of the Gospels, plus uh, the Acts of the Apostles and Romans, refer to his baptism. And I, as I've thought about that and I've read about it, it seems that uh, one of the things we could glean from that is that uh, the emphasis in the New Testament scriptures upon the baptism of Jesus is another way of bringing us into an understanding of his incarnation. And I think uh, that is what's so important about our celebrating the baptism of Jesus, because it makes the incarnation so vivid. I hope to explain why Mark begins his gospel with the baptism. If you notice in your insert, uh, we're in the first chapter of Mark, the very first verses of Mark. And he begins with this story of Jesus being baptized. Of course, we have John the Baptist, his, his uh, cousin, coming on the scene uh, as a wild man, it seems, dressed in a very strange way, going out into the wilderness. But there must have been something amazing about his character, who he was and his message. He must have been incredibly charismatic because the scripture says that all of Jerusalem came out to John. They came to repent of their sins, to confess and then to go through a, a ritual washing, a purification ceremony. 
large numbers of people. You can imagine the, the, the paintings that we have from the Middle Ages don't do justice to what that scene must have been like. Anyone who has been in the Middle East knows when you gather a large group of people, there's bound to be chaos. And chaotic it must have been at the Jordan. Water splashing, people confessing, some perhaps crying, others laughing with joy, families there, friends together, people of ill repute, all gathered around John at the River Jordan and confessing their sins and being cleansed. And then something amazing happens. Jesus comes to the River Jordan. Jesus comes to John amid all that chaos to that muddy river, walks out in it, and is baptized. It seems to me that we could have no clearer picture of God with us than Jesus standing in the midst of all of that humanity, in all of its brokenness, in the sinfulness being repented. In all of that, Jesus comes to stand among us. The New Testament scholar Marcus Borg put it this way. He allied himself with the faults and failures, pains and problems of all the broken and hurting people who had flocked to the Jordan River. By wading into the waters with them, he took his place beside us and among us. This is God incarnate. It is not the helpless child in the manger. But it is Jesus standing in the muddy waters of the Jordan. It's Jesus standing in the murky waters of my life and your life. But I don't think it ends there, this this grand opening that Mark has to his gospel. When Jesus comes up out of the water, Mark says that immediately, and he uses that word over and over in his gospel, the heavens were ripped apart And then a voice comes from heaven, and apparently only Jesus hears it, and the the uh, the address is to him. In other places, everyone hears it, and it's it's an address about him. But here it is: "You are my beloved. In you I am well pleased." The verb that's used for ripped apart in this part of Mark's gospel is not used again until the very end of the gospel. And Jesus is on the cross and suddenly, as he takes his last breath, the curtain in the temple, which was in front of the Holy of Holies, which was that place where it was believed that you could get closest to God on earth. That curtain was also ripped apart, is what the gospel says, ripped apart. And then, once again, Jesus is declared as the Messiah, but this time by a centurion. And the centurion says, truly, this man was God's son. These two events dramatically place the recognition of Jesus as Messiah at both the beginning and the end of the gospel. It's like it's like bookends to this gospel. And in between is where we see the life of Jesus, the unfolding of the word made flesh come among us and the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. These two events, I think, 
Mark intended very clearly to be a clear example of who he was and that everything that happened in his life was a living out of his Messiahship. But the ripping open of heaven and of the Holy of Holies, I think, tells us something also about God. The heavens weren't just opened and could close again, but they were ripped apart. It was as though God had decided to no longer be confined to sacred spaces, but rather God wanted to be among people. God wanted to be with us, truly with us. Anyone who uh, has studied uh, world religions knows that the story of religion is an account of humanity's attempt in some way to control or domesticate God. We do it in our prayers. We do it in what we project on God. We, we define God in so many strange ways. And it is, as, it is as though God in this moment is saying, I will no longer be defined by your limited understanding of who I am. I will no longer be defined by your fear of me or by your hopes of what I might do for you. But I will be. And God ripped apart the heavens, ripped apart the veil of the temple to be with us, to be among us. Returning to that beautiful font at Salisbury Cathedral, on the four sides of that font, right above where the archbishop made the sign of the cross, are four phrases from Scripture. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you, says one. I have called you by name. You are mine, says another. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And then another. And through the rivers, you shall not be overcome. Those words are words for you and for me. It's their words for us as if we recall our own baptism. Some of us actually can remember being baptized because we were baptized as adults. Others of us have heard about it from parents and godparents and from friends. Those are words for us. But they are also words for Alexander and for Katerina this morning on the day of their baptism. And for that, we give God thanks and praise. Amen.